You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark and Jace. This is episode number 71. The winner of last month's giveaway is M. Wandersee. Once again, you won a copy of Chris Hogan's new book entitled Everyday Millionaires and a $50 Visa gift card. We're giving away a new copy of Sarah Falah's recently released book, The Next Millionaire Next Door, and a $50 Visa gift card for the month of March. To enter the giveaway, we're asking you to do two things. Join our email list at millionairesunveiled.com. Also, subscribe to our show and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. We will draw a winner at the end of this month and announce it on a future episode. Also, if you're interested in some insights on wealth and investments, go follow us on Instagram under the handle millionaires underscore unveiled and on Twitter at millunveiled. Special thanks to Equity Multiple for supporting the show. One of the tried and true paths to becoming and staying a millionaire is establishing passive income streams. Perhaps the most tried and true passive income channel for savvy investors is commercial real estate. Equity Multiple connects credit investors with pre-vetted exclusive commercial real estate investments with investment minimums as low as $10,000. With Equity Multiple, you can allocate a meaningful portion of your portfolio to professionally managed commercial real estate and create a stronger, more diversified portfolio. Head to equitymultiple.com forward slash millionaires to learn more. Again, that's equitymultiple.com forward slash millionaires. On last week's episode, we had Brad from Choose FI. We discussed life hacks, what it means to be financially free, and many other interesting things. Next week, we are going to have Sam, who is not a millionaire yet, In fact, his net worth is hovering around $500,000, but is well on his way to becoming one. We discuss his journey, how he accumulated so much wealth at a young age, his mindset, and get into the details of his portfolio. If you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We're specifically looking for millionaires or those who are close to a net worth of $1 million to come on the show and share their story and portfolio allocations. Also, if you're in a specific profession, such as fireman or police officer or civic leader, we'd love to talk with you. We have requests from several of our listeners to get industry-specific professions on, and so we're going to try and do more of those interviews. All of us have a unique story, and that's one of the goals of this podcast, to share stories of individuals and divulge the fact that there are many ways to building wealth and becoming a millionaire. If you'd like to invest in our multifamily opportunities, please reach out to us at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com, and we'll jump on a call with you to discuss the opportunities and strategies. On this week's episode, we have Taylor, who has a net worth of just over $5 million. We discussed how he grew his net worth, how he invests, as well as what business and how his business runs and operates. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Taylor. Taylor, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I'm Taylor. I live in Deep East, Texas, and um, I am married to my high school sweetheart. Uh, we've been married about 10 years now, have three little kids, and uh, we've had a crazy little ride. I never thought that I would become an entrepreneur, but um, as luck would have it, I graduated college 
uh, with a finance degree right whenever the market collapsed in 2008, 2009. So literally nobody was hiring finance people. And my brother had started a little healthcare software company and asked me to come join him to help kind of run the business side of things. And we took it from this tiny little office to, um, you know, a high rise in downtown Austin, some of the largest healthcare providers in the nation using the system. And, and it really taught me a lot about business and really uh, kind of what I wanted to do long term. And so whenever we moved the, the business to Austin, I decided to stay behind and I joined um, a kind of a national, no, nationally known wealth management firm. I think that's really kind of what I wanted to get back into was investing and realized after just a short time of being there that their investing and my investing was very different. And so I stayed around, kind of learned the ropes of the industry and then left and started my own financial planning and investment management firm. And from there, that's kind of branched off into we've opened an insurance agency and a business consulting practice and uh, a business brokerage firm. And uh, we've been bought into a, a healthcare provider company um, in 2017. And so uh, it keeps us really busy. We've learned a lot. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's been a really fun, wild ride. So um, that's a little about me. I've, I've done a little everything. I was, I was a youth pastor for a little while at one of our local churches. And um, so I love, I love young people and I love to be able to help uh, the next generation kind of learn about money and business and, um, you know, just kind of passionate about life, just enjoy life. Cool. And what is your net worth today? Sitting at probably around five to 10 million with the different businesses and, and the way the stock market is and our other investments, it fluctuates a little bit, but uh, I would say, you know, five is probably a pretty good number just day in, day out. And, ha- and how is that broken up amongst your businesses and other investments? Yeah. So the bulk of that would be our healthcare company. Um, it's been, uh, it, it really brought a, a huge increase to our net worth, um, last year, whenever we decided to invest in it. Um, so I would probably venture to say that probably 70% of, of our net worth is tied up into it, give or take a little bit uh, with the rest being in some of our other businesses that, that we've started up. And then probably, um, 10% of that is really liquid, um, that we have in, in the stock market. So, yeah. And do you have a primary residence as well? I do, um, uh, but it's just uh, we we believe in kind of uh, living frugally. So we're not like the the fire movement of where we're reusing toilet paper or anything like that. But uh, <laughs> we do believe in kind of living below our below our means. And so uh, we bought a uh, we bought and sold our own house our own houses several times. And uh, now we're in one that we bought a few years ago. It was a foreclosure that we've remodeled and really made it our own. Um, but it's, a, uh, it's been, it's been a really, that's been also been a really good fun learning experience as well. So. Cool. I want to get into a few different things, but let's, let's maybe kind of rewind kind of to the beginning of, of your journey. And when you went and worked with that financial management firm, how was your investing philosophy different than theirs? And how did you kind of shape your investment philosophy and how did it end up being different from theirs? Yeah. So, Whenever I, uh, whenever I was growing up, my, my parents were just blue-collar workers. And my dad had always told me and my older brothers that the summer we graduated high school, we had to go work out at the plywood mill that he worked at um, to really show us what he had to do to, to provide for us and to kind of drive us to go to college. Um, and I fell in love with it, right? I was an 18-year-old punk kid making $40,000 a year. Um, I moved out of my parents' house into my, got my own apartment. 
bought the brand new Mustang when they came out and was just thought I was, you know, I was the man and, um, realized pretty quickly thereafter that, um, because I didn't have a budget and because I wasn't tracking my expenses and all that good stuff that I was actually running in the negative. And so the girl I was dating at the time who is now my wife told me, she was like, Hey, listen, if you actually do want to marry me, you gotta, you gotta be able to manage your money. And so I went to the library, picked up every book I could about money, started reading those, uh, looking on websites, reading all that I could, and uh, kind of worked myself out of debt and started doing interviews with some of the successful business owners that I knew about, kind of learning all I could about money. And then once I was out of debt, really learning how to invest it. And so, and that's really what drove me to go get a finance degree to be able to help others, kind of like my parents who, who were, who always made decent money, but never really had enough that, that, that could be called real money. And so, um, whenever I joined the investment firm, my philosophy was, Hey, you know, we're going out here. We're going to help these people, you know, learn how to manage money and then invest properly. And so I'm a big believer in individual stocks, um, as investments. And so whenever I joined the investment firm, all the training that they had was geared towards selling and it was just sell, 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 sell. And, and I understand you don't have a business without customers, but at the same time, there was a lot more to it than just selling, um, especially when you're talking about people's life savings. And so I brought up the question um, during my training, like, hey, you know, as an example, if, if Dr. Bob comes in and he brings in this money, you know, here's kind of what I would want to do with it. But, you know, according to, to your policies, this is what I should do. And my manager time said, hey, listen, you don't worry about that at all. All you need to do is go bring in more Dr. Bob's. You don't worry about the investments. We'll let New York handle that, right? That's what New York and the computers are for. All you need to do is go bring in the money. And I knew right then that just wasn't the life that I wanted to live or lead. So I, I knew I knew I wasn't going to be there very long. So what do you guys do now with this new company? What's kind of your investing strategy? Yeah, so uh, we started off doing traditional. So mostly I'm um, invested in individual um, equities or stocks. And I uh, realized that even though I enjoy the stock market and I believe there's a lot of wealth creation that can happen there, I love alternatives or physical investments. And so um, a big portion of our, our company now that we invest in is uh, real estate, you know, commercial um, properties, multifamily um, units, um, oil and gas wells, you name it. Um, we really... If, if it can be used as an investment, we try to find it and use it as an investment. A lot of private business um, infusions, um, even some hard money lending at times. And um, so we've we really diversified out of just, hey, this is what the stock market is doing into, hey, let's let's purchase a building in, in a downtown location. Let's fix it up and let's either flip it or let's rent it out and, and try to bring impact to what we're doing as well. Because even though I like the stock market, I can't go put my hands on it. Whereas if I own a thousand acres of timber... Um, I'm, it's a lot more flexible. Right? I can go out there and, and do things with it. And there's a lot of tax benefits that go along. Yeah, we've had a few other uh, millionaires that we've we've interviewed and, and said they don't invest in the stock market. One guy said he doesn't invest in it at all because he, he feels like he doesn't have control over his money, control over his investment. Yeah. So it's interesting. Do you have any right now in the market, either in retirement accounts or traditional accounts or HSAs? I do. Um, we don't, I don't use any retirement accounts. Um, all of my stuff is in just individual accounts. And, uh, so we have, um, it, it fluctuates depending on what deals we have, but I usually keep like a nest egg in the stock market in some high quality dividend type paying stocks. So we use a lot of AT&T, um, Exxon, 
Walmart, things like that that are have been around forever. They're growing, but they also just they pay a good solid dividend. And um, you know, I'm not really worried if if they fluctuate a few dollars. I'm looking at you know 20, 30, 40 years down the road. So um, we do have some some of our nest egg in there. Gotcha, but less so in yeah. like a in an S and P index fund. Correct. We don't do I don't do any index funds. So that's one thing I kind of differ from from a, a lot of advisors is we don't do any mutual funds. We don't do any ETFs. We don't do any index funds. Um, I kind of have a saying where, you know, when I go to the store to buy ketchup, I like Waterburger spicy ketchup. So if you're not from Texas, I'm sorry, I'll send you some, but, um, Waterburger spicy ketchup is amazing and they actually sell it in stores. And so when I go to the store to buy ketchup, I only buy the ketchup that I like. I don't care about Heinz or Hunt's or any of the other ones. And so the same thing, I take that same approach where, you know, I don't want to own the entire market. I want to own the parts of the market that I know and I, and that I like. And so I tend to invest that same way. I pay AT&T for my cell phone and I have for, for 15 years. I know them. I like their service. I like what they're doing. I'm going to invest in AT&T. I don't want to invest in every telephone company in America. So. Sure. So how much do you bet on a single stock? I mean, some people might say, hey, that's risky to go all in on a single stock. And that's why I invest in a mutual fund or an index fund or, or what's kind of your philosophy there? Uh, so my philosophy is if you're buying smart it's not that risky, right? So I think it's much riskier saying, hey, I'm going to turn all of my money over to some fund manager who's going to put it in whatever they kind of want. And so for us, you know, I may own no more than 10 stocks in my account. You know, those, those can fluctuate depending on how risky or I want to go, right? So risky to me would be investing in Facebook or Tesla um, or even Amazon um, over the last few years. Um, whereas, our safe long-term money is more in, like I said, AT&T and those type of companies. So let's talk about allocation-wise your, your businesses here. So you said you have about 70% in, in a healthcare company. Does it make you nervous at all having that much in one company? Yeah, it, it does at times. Um, I didn't expect for it to happen that way. You know, we had a good um, nest egg, I guess, that we were investing in other things. And this opportunity came along that I knew could um, substantially increase our net worth, but at the same time, it, it could really you know devastate us. And so luckily, it's been a really, really good investment. Um, it has grown substantially over the last year. And so unlike, I'll say, I, I, you know, if, if something's going good, I'm going to ride it until it's not. And so um, even though a, more and more of my net worth is tied into this one company, it is it is still growing and doing phenomenal. And so you know, I'm not going to say, hey, uh, maybe we should back back out or take some money out whenever we're the, the future is very bright for the company. So um, as long as, you know, our other our other money is safe and it's doing what it needs to do, it's invested in some other things. So other real estate or other businesses, then uh, I'm not worried. So how do you decide how much to keep in the business, right? If the, if the business is profitable, how much do you decide to put back in the business versus taking off the table and in, investing in other places? Well, so for our standpoint, when we got into the business, it was really a, it was really a five-year goal, right? We were going to get into it, grow it as large as we could, and then sell it in five years. And so for us, we've taken a little off the table here and there whenever there's been some opportunities come up that we just really didn't want to pass up. But mostly it's a, it's a pure growth play where we want, we want to grow it as large as we can, as fast as we can. And then, uh, you know, sell it to a larger player. And so 
for us, it's worth it to, to maybe take that sacrifice at this point and maybe let some deals go by in order to continue feeding the, the monster, I guess, that, that will eventually become, hopefully, our, our big nest egg. So Taylor, when you're looking at all these businesses that you've invested in or you've gotten yourself into or even real estate deals, what, what's some of the criteria that you look at uh, when you're trying to make an investment or decision about whether or not to get involved? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. For us, I try, I'm, I'm a little riskier and my wife is much more conservative. And so, um, you know, we kind of have to play that back and forth. I can't put all of my money um, into an extremely risky investment because um, I want her to feel comfortable, right? I want, I want her to know that here's this money set aside. We are safe. Things are taken care of. Um, and so for us, it's really looking at each deal to see where it falls on that line, right? How risky is it? Um, do I think there's a good return? If I'm investing with other people, do they know what they're talking about, right? And then how much is in it? Um, so like right now, we were we were we discussed a business with a guy just this week who was wanting seventy five thousand dollars to start a mobile coffee truck company, and um, everything he was saying sounded great, um, but he's never ever once worked in a coffee shop. He's never owned a food truck. He knows nothing other than hey, I think this can make a lot of money. For us, that that doesn't really work out um, because at that point, he wants us to put in 75000 and him just put in the, the sweat equity and it, it wasn't worth the risk. And so uh, we really look for, you know, we want something that's a something that's a good long-term type investments most of the time um, that, that we're not, we're not worried about things going over or going under. So most of our real estate, you know, we, we believe in, you make your money when you buy. And so we're looking for distressed properties and things like that. And so far we've been very blessed. And do you usually partner with somebody in these deals or do you do them by yourself? I would probably say about 50, 50. So in the healthcare business, um, I have a couple of partners in it because it, it was, I mean, it was a substantial investment. Some of the real estate, depending on the size and where it's at, we'll do it ourselves. Um, I also have, you know, my clients that are part of our investment firm who depend on me to, to help bring them investments. You know, they really like these, some of these alternative investments as well. So if, if we find one that, that we can all be a, a part of, I believe in, in, you know, a rising sea brings up all the ships. And so I don't, I have no desire to die as the richest guy around um, and sit up on this hill of gold. I really believe in helping others. And so if I can bring somebody else in on a deal that I think is good for all of us, it minimizes my risk, but it also in, in turn helps somebody else and gives them experience, then, then I think it's a good deal. And we've done that quite a bit with a lot of our younger type investors, young professionals who they want to begin doing other stuff, but they may not have the capital or the experience or the time. And co-investing with them really helps them learn and it takes some of the risk off of us. So. Yeah, I think that's great. And one thing from from our audience that we've heard a lot is what it's like on the spouse's side married to an entrepreneur and kind of the ebbs and the flows and and maybe just talk a little bit about that how you and your wife kind of navigate, you know, the ups and the downs of owning businesses and fluctuations in income and, you know, mating payroll and all these things that you've got to worry about as a business owner that, you know, somebody who's who's working a traditional W2 job typically doesn't. I believe the most important relationship I have here on earth is with my spouse. Um, we're a team. Uh, when I took my, my vows on wedding day, it was right. It was still death to do his part. And so every step of the way that, that we've done things, 
she's been a vital part of, hey, helping me to see some of the the you know the negatives of a deal or some of the risks that that maybe I don't see because, hey, it just looks like hey, there's going to be this big pile of money. Um, and so she's really been a a really good asset to bounce those ideas off of. But we also know enough about each other that we don't work well together. Um, so she has never once worked a day in the office as um, an employee or an assistant or anything like that, just because of our our personality differences in the way that we work. So we have a, a really good relationship where I know that she's taking care of the things at home and the things that we need to with the kids. I take care of some of the business stuff. Um, and then we come together and, and obviously we're sharing information all day. We, we know how to, how to operate now. For us, a big part of this entrepreneurial journey has been setting aside an account that she can see, right? That she can see all the time. So she knows that I haven't just taken what we've set aside for what maybe our retirement and blew it or I say blew it, put it into an investment. Um, so she, she wanted that security of knowing this money is there, right? If, if all the businesses failed, if everything, you know, just, just died, here's this, this pot of money. And that, that's almost like a security blanket. And so it's been having that has really, really helped because we know as our network grows and as the things that we do grow that, Hey, that's, that's our money. And that's our, you know, if, if the world ends, right, we're okay. We have these funds there. And that's really helped to kind of ease her mind as we move in and out of investments because I don't touch that. That that money is there. Uh, it's in the stock market. Most of it is. And it's just, it's kind of growing. Some of it's in cash, but it's really there to, to ease her mind that, hey, things are things are okay, right? We're, we may be taking some risk here and there, but overall, that money is there that, that she knows is okay. I think you're pretty grounded and have great advice on that topic. And I looked over one of the recent articles you wrote called Marrying Your Money Financial Advice for Newlyweds. So what do you think, you know, just going back, I guess, you, you always hear that money in, in relationships and in marriage can be a big issue, right? And so what is some yeah. of the advice you have to people who maybe don't see similarly or someone's more aggressive or someone's less aggressive or maybe someone's more of a spender? You know, what are some of the advice you give to, to couples, either married or not, to get on the same page or at least to understand each other on money? Definitely. Um, you know, so when we first got married, we didn't have the same mindset about money. Um, and so it took us a few years of really learning and studying. I believe that in a marriage, um, you have to work on it, right? So if I want my house to be better, I have to go out there and mow the yard and, and paint the fence and um, change light bulbs. The same thing with the marriage is I want my marriage to be better. I have to work on it. I have to go to seminars. I have to read books. I have to take her on dates and really work on my marriage. And so we actually teach a, uh, a newlyweds class every every week. Um, and so for us, you know, money for a while was the number one cause of divorce. And um, um, it's still, I think, number two now. You know, with that, it's really, you, you've got to open up. you got to have that communication with your spouse about this is the way I really feel about money. This is the way you really feel about money. Taking into account, you know, what they may have learned from their parents or friends. Um, and some of the best advice I give is, you know, typically when you have two young professionals who meet and then they're getting together, they already have their own retirement accounts, their own checking accounts and, and things like that. Um, and what happens is after they get married, they leave those separate, right? And they both just, they may open one joint account where they each put a little bit of money into every month to cover the bills, but this is my money and this is your money. And I tell people that's the, that's one of the worst things you can do um, for your marriage because it opens up a lot of issues with trust. It can bring a lot of questions up. 
you know, do they have some mad money hidden away type situations or this spouse is spending a lot of money here whenever, you know, the other spouse isn't making as much. Um, we believe it's a team, right? My money is your money. Your money is, is, is my money. Um, we're a team. And so really bringing those finances together to work toward that mutual goal is huge. And unfortunately, I, that kind of goes against a lot of the mainstream that's out there of, you know, you got to protect what's yours. And, you know, it, it, it's really, it's to the detriment of a lot of marriages and so, um, and to the family unit in general. So I believe that's one of the biggest things is you've got to believe you and your spouse are on the same team. If you're not on the same team, why are you married? I played, I grew up playing sports. You know, if, if we're playing baseball and we'll have eight people show up, there's a hole somewhere, right? And so shortstop has to cover short and second or whatever that is. Um, it makes it harder for everybody. So if you're on a team, if you're married, you're on a team, be a team, open up, communicate, work on it together, share that in, share the, the financial, uh, risk and the rewards and, and the burdens. Uh, and if you do, I think if you put yourself on the same team, uh, you have a really bright future ahead of you. Yeah, I think it's a, it's great advice. And I think most of the millionaires we've interviewed, you know, I'd say I, I can just think of a couple maybe that weren't quite on the same page, right? Or, or were big enough yeah. on the same page that it was worth talking about, right? They were sh- sure they had little differences here and there, but they, they learned to overcome them. They learned to work together. They learned to agree on investment strategy and, and so forth. So just going forward here, before we get into some millionaire rapid fire questions, obviously you have a large allocation or a large portion of your net worth in, in small businesses. Do you anticipate that being that way in the future? Do you have any idea, any goals to change that or or switch that up at all? I don't. Um, I love business. Like uh, once I started the entrepreneurial journey, I didn't want it to stop. And that's why we've, we've branched and started out and tested out all these other business ideas. Um, I just love business. I love the competition of it. I love the, you know, bringing value. I love being able to, um, help support other families and help them reach their goals. And so I believe for the rest of my life that most of my income will be tied up in, um, some kind of small businesses. Um, you know, I, I, I really like real estate, but it, it's real estate to me isn't a excite me like business does. Um, and all the changes that go, you know, we have businesses that are just purely web based. And so it really helps me to stretch and learn to know more about technology and utilizing it and, and, you know, SEO and, and how to implement, um, you know, email marketing chains and, um, all this stuff. And so we've actually done competitions internally with some of our office staff who can create, you know, a business, a profitable business, the cheapest, right. And, uh, who can come up with outside the box ways to, you know, take another business model and make it better. And, um, you know, I, I, it just excites me. So I don't expect, uh, that allocation to change too much. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Let's dive into these, uh, rapid fire questions and then we'll go into some mistakes and some general advice. So Definitely. the most expensive, uh, pair of jeans or pants you've ever purchased. Oh, uh, probably a pair of slacks that were about 500 bucks. Okay. Most expensive shoes, uh, dress shoes, $450. Okay. Most expensive car. Uh, my, my wife's, um, infinity SUV, which we bought used, um, probably 27 grams. All right. Most uh, expensive meal out that you've paid for. Ooh, uh, in Vegas a few years ago, I can't remember the name of the restaurant, but for like two people, it was close to $300. Okay. What's uh, worth the money to you, whether that's experiences or things. 
Um, travel, right? I, I love travel. And so I think it's worth the money, no matter whether it's a day road trip or um, a flight to Europe and, you know, two weeks over there. I think those experiences of, of going and renting an Airbnb for two weeks and living like a local is well worth the money. Okay. And, and what's not worth the money? What are you really trying to save on? Keeping up with the Joneses. So for us, you know, I, I don't care to have the biggest house, the nicest, nicest car, uh, even the nicest clothes. I, I want to look decent and presentable and, and have a good name. But by no means do I want to spend money just to try to impress people that I don't know or like. So Sure. Uh, high school and college GPA? Uh, not, not low. I mean, not high. High school, <laughs> I was straight A's. Uh, college, uh, when I was going to college, I was working part-time in the morning at UPS, four or five hours. I was already married. I would leave UPS from loading trucks, go to college. I took 18 to 21 hours a semester. And so my GPA, my, my slogan was like D for diploma. I think I graduated with maybe like a 2.9 or something. Um, something I'm proud about, but also nothing that I'm, I'm not hanging it on the wall. No one's ever asked me for my GPA. So. Yeah. Sure. And it hasn't held you back. Uh, what, what's your predicted retirement age and, and net worth at retirement, if you had to guess? Uh, um, so my personal goal is to um, hang up the day-to-day operations at 40. And um, I would like to have $20 million liquid at that point, in order, or mostly liquid at that point. Um, and that's my, that's my goal. So just building off that, so is the goal just $20 million, or do you have a, a, a cash flow goal or – any, anything else besides uh, yeah I, I mean I would like that 20 to kick off about 500,000 a year uh, where I live that's a substantial amount of income and so um, I'd like that 20 invested some in the stock market and some in private business and um, kicking off about half a million a year in order to enjoy life but that that's a that's a good nest egg it's it's enough to pass down and, and do a lot with I provide a lot of freedom and so uh, that's my that's my goal Awesome. Uh, what about favorite books or any, any books you recommend? Favorite books. Definitely. Uh, the Richest Man in Babylon is one I give to everybody all the time. Um, uh, followed closely by Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, and then from there, The Five Love Languages. If you're married, uh, if you're in a relationship, you ever decide you want to be in a relationship, uh, those those three books will, will do a lot for you. So Awesome. And then a uh, favorite tech tool or websites, whether that's an investing tool or a budgeting app, if you use any. I really don't. Um, I don't go anywhere without my laptop. And so I, I love my laptop. But as far as tools that I use, I can't really name any. I love Reddit. Um, and so I follow a bunch of um, investing and, and um, subreddits and things like that. But um, no, I can't think of any tool that just jumps out at me. Okay. Uh, and range of income as much as your your comfortable range of household income through your working life. One fifty to three a year. Okay. That's and then what we we live on. Okay, and and then last question here before we get into the advice and mistakes. Are you big on goal setting? A lot of our millionaires are, and some aren't. And you know, what's your philosophy there? I am. I am. I firmly believe in goal setting. Um, now I don't do it every day. Like I don't have goals for the next day. Um, I did sit down, uh, when I was in my early twenties, um, and decided, Hey, I needed to really map out what I wanted my life to look like. Um, really hit me up. Why am I even stressing and going to college? Why am I working in this job? Um, what am I really doing any of this for? Cause you know, I've passed, um, homeless guys on the streets of Houston who thought they were living a pretty good, they were happy. <laughs> they weren't really all that stressed and, um, you know, they were making it work. And so, 
um, why am I, why am I, um, pumping it trying to work? And so, and so, uh, I sat down a few years ago and, and looked and said, okay, where do I want to be when I retire? Right. Where do I want to be when I'm 65? And just kind of worked myself back of, you know, if I was going to be, um, you know, this wealthy with this kind of family and this kind of house at 65, where did I need to be at 55? And where did I need to be at 45? And where I need to be at 35? I just kind of worked myself back every five or 10 years. And that is, has kind of led my entire path. And so, um, I'm lucky enough to be able to say I've hit every goal I've set so far for my different ages. Um, I hit my, my ones for when I was 30, the week I turned 30, but, but I hit it. And, you know, the road is really curvy and it's up and down and, Sometimes they move around a little bit, but um, I believe in kind of knowing what you want out of life and, and going for it um, strategically. And so um, I set goals. I have this, this life goal, and then I went back and I, I set yearly goals every year. And um, anytime we move it into an investment, no matter how big or small, we tie a goal to it. Why are, why are we buying this rent house? Why did we? Why, you know, why are we moving into even this healthcare company, or why would we start another business? What's the goal of it? Right? What's the end game for it? And so. Um, I firmly believe in in setting some goals. Yeah, that's awesome. So of all these investments that you've made and everything that you've learned over over the last decade, what are some of the mistakes you've made along the way? Uh, thinking that I knew it all. Right? I mean, when you're young, you, you really think you know it all, and then you find some success, and then you know you know it all. And, and it really it really hit me hard when I when I made my first couple of big mistakes. And I realized I, I didn't know maybe everything that I thought I did. And so now um, it's, it's taken me those, those failures, I guess, to really turn me into somebody who loves to, to read. Um, so I go through about one to two audiobooks a week and I'm constantly listening to autobiographies, biographies, uh, business books, just to learn as much as I can. Uh, if I can learn from other people's failures, other people's mistakes, then hopefully I won't make those same ones. And following up on that, you got a young 22-year-old, 23-year-old fresh out of college. What kind of advice would you give them to get started? Um, enjoy life, right? I mean, I think you got your whole, you have your whole life ahead of you. Um, you've worked your tail off to get to college. Your first job, you're not going to be where your parents are. And that's one of the things I see a lot is, you know, kids graduate college and, and they've grown up in this technology age where, you know, you want to know answer to a question, you just pull out your phone, right? It's, it's you don't have to go to an encyclopedia. And so um, they believe when they get out of college that they should have the same size house that their parents have or the same type of car that their parents have and already be at that level without really realizing that, hey, it's taking them 20, 30, 40 years of working to get to those levels. And so, um, and, and I see a lot of people get into major, major debt by taking on more just to have that appearance. And so um, one of the things that I tell people is, hey, listen, buy a starter home. It's okay to have a starter home. That's why they're called starter homes. Um, you know, you don't have to jump in and buy the brand new car. You don't have to, to live outside of your means. Know who you are. Don't compete against everybody else. It's you. And your happiness is is your happiness. No one else can make you happy but you. Um, and so that's that's really the, the biggest piece of advice I can I can give people. Awesome. We got one last question from, from our listener group. What is your return that you try to target with your investments in stocks? And then what is your investment target return for investments that you make maybe in small business or in, or in real estate? Yeah. So in stocks, um, you know, we use this mix of these high quality dividend and then these, these growth. Um, so with that, we're looking 
Um, you know, we want to make at least 10%. And so our high quality dividend paying stocks are, are pushing out three to six to seven. Um, and then we want that other growth to come from the growth of Amazon or Tesla, whoever else. Luckily, you know, obviously these last few years, stock market's been amazing. So we've far, far surpassed those, those, um, percentages or returns. And then on our private business and other things, it varies per business. You know, the more I put into the business, the more I, the higher return I expect. You know, so far the healthcare companies, it's, it's returned several hundred times what we, what we put in, which has been phenomenal in the just few short months we've had it. And I expect that to, to even grow more uh, before we liquidated it in a few years. But it's really, it's, that's what it's really tied to is how much I'm putting into it depends on how much I'm getting out. Um, I don't have a set, a set 20% or 30% that I, I strive for. Follow up to question that do you typically, leverage your investments as well, whether it's real estate or, or small business, or are you trying to to minimize that and, and go in with, with just the cash that you have? Most of the time, it's just with the cash that I have. Now, we, we have leveraged um, a few times, um, but they're usually something that, that I believe are like, it's a fail safe almost, right? You're buying real estate at far, far lower than what it's worth. Um, and um, so instead of using leverage, a lot of times we'll, we'll just bring in another investor on things. I, I'm I try to stay out of as much debt as I possibly can. Awesome. It's Taylor with a net worth of $5 million. Thanks for coming on the show today. Definitely not. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Taylor. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.